Welcome to Corner Table Talk. I'm your host, Brad Johnson. Here we explore subjects related to food plus drink plus culture. And as always, with questions or comments about our show, you can reach me at brad at postandbeamhospitality.com. Just to make sure that you're aware, following the conversation, we do a segment with my dear friend, my childhood pal, buddy and sister, Ambassador Shabazz, titled How We Move, so stick around for that. New York City in the late 70s, 1980s, I'll say, was a really rich time for Black culture. Black theater was bustling. You had Debbie Allen and Sweet Charity, Phyllis Hyman doing Sophisticated Ladies and Dream Girls all on Broadway. The restaurant and nightlife scene was full of options for black folks. B. Smith, the legendary Jezebel in the theater district, the Shark Bar, the Cellar, and dance clubs like Bentley's and Leviticus. You had Alvin Ailey and the Dance Theater of Harlem performing at prestigious Midtown venues, Essence Magazine, led by the brilliant Susan Taylor, and models Iman, Beverly Johnson, and Naomi Campbell, all reaching supermodel status. And if you were young, and Black, then, with a dream to be in the arts, chances are New York City was a part of the plan. So sometime, actually, it was the late 70s, I believe it was 1979. And I don't remember the exact date, but I do know the year. My guest today walked into my dad's restaurant, The Cellar. She had recently arrived in New York City from her hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, and was looking for work while pursuing a career in the arts. Fast forward more than a few decades, and the young lady, as fine as she was then, is still turning heads and has been turning heads ever since. Vanessa Bell Calloway, as she is known since marrying prominent anesthesiologist Anthony Calloway close to 30 years ago, has enjoyed a career that spans the stage and both small and big screen. She has earned eight NAACP Image Award nominations and won the NAACP Theater Award for Best Actress for her critically acclaimed role as Zora Neale Hurston in Letters from Zora. Her resume encompasses a career that started with the daytime soap opera All My Children to most recently a lead role in the new BET miniseries The Black Hamptons. And I watched a trailer. Trust me, you do not want to mess with Vanessa's character. Mrs. Britton, but we will talk about that in a little bit. Vanessa is also a professional dancer. She directs and produces various projects. Vanessa does not sit still for very long. All that while still being as nice a person as she was almost 40 years ago. Vanessa, has it been that long that we've known each other? Yep. <laughs> is that possible? Yep. It's possible. Right. Time stands still for no one. Yeah. So we start here, Vanessa, with our short order questions. I'm going to fire a few off at you. Tell me, what music are you listening to? Oh, I am in love with Afrobeats right now. It just does something for my soul, the rhythms. And I walk around my house just like undulating and dancing. <laughs> and even on the planes and it's soothing. I just, I don't know, I just, I discovered it. And one of my daughters, she gave me a playlist and I just... Play it, play it, play it. I love Afro Beach right now. I'm going to add that to mine. I like that. You really it's should. rhythmic sound. I enjoy it. It's just yeah. kind of makes your day just a little hipper and cooler and funkier. All right. I, we could all use that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. How about the morning beverage? What's the first thing that you drink in the morning? The first thing that I like to drink is hot water and lemon. I fill up my big cooler. The hot cold cup is like a big one. And I try to drink 
that I like to get my liquids in the morning and then I'm drinking bone broth, which actually I'm drinking right now. This morning I didn't have hot water lemon. I went right to the bone broth, but I just felt like I really needed something hot and substantial this morning. Mm. And then I don't eat. I, I've been uh, intermittent fasting for years and I didn't know that's what it was called. And I was like, oh, that's what that's called. That's what I've been doing for years. I really don't. My theme is don't chew before two. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't really put any food in my system until the afternoon. So I yeah. drink liquids in the morning. Does that bone broth have any flavor? It does. It just tastes like a good soup, like a warm, uh -huh. hearty soup. Mm. And it's good for inflammation and collagen mm. and cleansing. And it's just kind of, it's like a warm and fuzzy sweater. You just wrap up in it. And just makes you feel good. Okay. And even if it cools off, it's still good. All right. So mentioned diet, vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian. What are you eating? How are you eating these days? I like that flexitarian. <laughs> I never heard it put that way before. Eat things in moderation. I didn't eat any meat at all for years. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, Ashley, out of nowhere, I was craving lamb chops. And my husband and my father-in-law busted out laughing. And they went and got the lamb chops. I said, we have to cook them. I don't know how to, I ain't cooked meat in years. And I killed those lamb chops. <laughs> I don't know why I was craving lamb chops, but I was. And then I stopped eating meat again for a long period of time. But now if I want a little piece of steak. Hmm. I give myself permission to have just a little piece of steak or every summer, I gotta just have carve out one or two days where I get that barbecue rib in the summertime with that potato salad and then baked oh, yeah. down. <laughs> gotta keep it real. So every now and again, and a hot lick, I love me a good hot thing <laughs> with some onions and mustard. So every now and again, I will have some meat, but basically my diet is really just fish and vegetables, salad, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I grill a lot. I grill a lot of foods or bake, no, nothing fried. Yeah, yeah. The audience can't see because we're only audio, but I can tell you that your skin glows. So what, whatever you are doing, the bone broth, the vegetables, or whatever it is, keep doing that. I would liquid, liquids, hydrate. And the older we get, we got to hydrate. It works. All right. How about the last great meal that you and Tony had? Where was that? What was that? The last great meal I had was in Italy a few weeks ago. I've had good meals since then, but oh, this truffle pasta. Oh my God. It was just so good. Italy is just, you try to lose weight to go there because you know you're going to come back fat. I didn't get that this time. I just added the fat on top of the fat. So <laughs> now I'm trying to lose my fat weight to get back to the weight I was trying to lose. So I'm going to get there. But oh my God, all the meals in Italy were just, oh, it's the fresh, it's so fresh. The pasta and the sauces are just so fresh. And the fish and your stuff, they like just keep bringing so much food, like all those courses. So yeah, last great meal I had was definitely Italy a few weeks ago. I think if you're going to put on some pounds, Italy is probably not the worst place to do that. It goes hand in hand. You can't go to Italy. Not eat. No. <laughs> all right, last one of these, Vanessa. How about your favorite thing about life in L.A.? That's a good question. There's a lot of things that I like about life in LA, but I like the outdoor living. I like the fact that we live indoor, outdoor. Like I had a dinner party last night and I entertained a lot and I really put a lot of attention into my backyard. I have this beautiful big fire pit. And for Tony's birthday, I made him a man cave that's finished. It's like a cabana, but it's really like an extent. It's like another whole little house. It's beautiful. My guy who made it. It's gorgeous. And we like to go, we like to be indoors and outdoors because we have those nights in LA where even if it's a little chilly, you're on a sweatshirt, but it's still nice to be outdoors, especially around our fire pit. And that's a place where we gather a lot of our friends and 
do tequila or just talk or whatever. So I like the fact that in LA, we have indoor, outdoor living and healthy living. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and then I lived in New York. And it's just a different lifestyle. We, this is the only state where you can literally go skiing and then three hours later be at the beach. Yeah, all on the same day. The same day. Yeah. It's a beautiful state. So I like a lot of things about LA, but I think I like the indoor, outdoor living and the lifestyle, our lifestyle. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I remember some days leaving, leaving the West Side and driving east on the 10 and hit those snow-capped mountains from the mm-hmm. 10 in Santa Monica. You know what, 40 or 50 miles away. And you got, you got your sunroof open on your top down. Oh yeah, top oh, down. <laughs> <laughs> Where else can that happen? <laughs> All right, well, let's jump in, Vanessa. So how you doing? How are you? I am, as I always say, I am a lot of things, but good as one. <laughs> All right. But uh, no, I'm doing great. Life is good. It's mellow. Um, I'm enjoying the last part of my summer, just chilling, just enjoying being home and my friends and just, you know, because I travel so much for work. I'm gone a lot. So it's nice just to be home and just enjoy my house. So I'm doing good. How are you, Brad? Thank you, Vanessa. I'm good too. Thank you. Yeah, I just came back from a place that, that I heard that you were at. So I, I read an article in the Washington Post that uh, you were on Martha's Vineyard. And I know we, our history, we go way back to the vineyard before it became what it is now. But I know there was a film festival there. And I just have to say, since when Spike bought a house there, 10 or, I don't know, maybe even longer than that, the vineyard, the popularity increased certainly. But Michelle and Barack being there now, I just feel like it's at a whole nother level. So you were mentioned in this article in the Washington Post, as I just said, about attending this film festival. I'm just curious, Vanessa, what was your takeaway from the venue? I know that was such a nice article. My publisher sent the writer a little thank you because they just mentioned people that were there, but they actually attached the story to me. It's funny. That's the lesson about you never know because it's a true story. They would happen. I was talking to the writer of a Christmas movie that I directed last year. We were talking about it. You never know who's ear hustling, do you? So you always be careful what you say in public. But anyway, the vineyard is, like you said, we used to go there years ago in the 80s. My boyfriend before my husband had a home. And I used to go there quite a bit in the 80s. And it was just the vineyard. You just went and you just hung out and you we fished and you go to other people's houses, eat and drink. And you, it was just that the big, the socialization was just going to people's houses that there were no like clubs or party. You go out and have a dinner maybe, but it was just a very relaxed, chill place. And then about, I don't know, 17 years ago, maybe I took Tony because he had never been. And we unfortunately had to stop our trip like a day and a half early because a storm was coming through. And we were supposed to leave that Monday, which was Labor Day, but we had to get up Sunday morning and get out. And we had flown into the vineyard. So we literally was like planes, trains, and automobiles. We literally had to get that ferry, get a bus to the airport, get a plane. It was crazy. But when we got home, we looked at the weather and thank God we left because a storm really had come through. So unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to really see the vineyard. And that had been my first time to the vineyard in years. Fast forward now, 17 years, 18 years later, I had been wanting to get a home for the last several years, past five, six years or so. COVID hit, that other things happened. But this year I got a house for two weeks and we missed the first week because we went on a vacation with the Johnsons, but everybody else went. So we finally get there. And when I tell you, I was just like, oh my God, the vineyard on steroids. You can't drive. You can't even rent a car. We had to, we got a car near Boston's airport 
and then drove, well, my daughter did because we were in Europe, drove the car to the ferry. And getting a reservation for the ferry, Brad, oh my God. They give you a time in January, one day, they open it up at five o'clock. When I tell you I was in Atlanta shooting and my girlfriend was in LA and we both were on the phone trying to get reservations for a car. It, I was on that. It took me over two hours to get a reservation for the week for the weeks that I was going. This is January. I'm trying to get a reservation for August. So we can't get a car on the vineyard. So that's how we got our car on the vineyard. And driving, and you better have a car because you can't even get Uber. You can't get taxis. You can't get anything. You walk down the street and it's packed. You can't get reservations in restaurants. You have to get your reservations months ahead. It's kind of hectic from what I know, but it's still fun. It was great to be there because we were there not only during the film festival, but also a lot of HBCUs are there at fraternities and sororities. And I'm AKA, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. Running into all my sororities and my husband ran into his more. I was brothers and my daughters are both spelling grads and AKAs. So they were running into people they know. So that was the fun part. More people have found it. More black folks, it's like the black Mecca. All these black folks are assembling there in the summer. But that was fun. But it's, I don't know what they're going to do with this film festival because it's very popular. I understand it's been around for 20 years, but it's still growing in its popularity. And the vineyard is only so big. So I really, it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to maintain that and the space or the, how they're going to do everything. But I think it's great. I'm sure that Martha's Vineyard ain't mad because they're they making some money. certainly that week i'm curious vanessa ambassador shabazz has an expression that she uses often where she refers to something as an exhale and i read i think it was in the article that you were mentioned in the washington post but somebody referred to the vineyard as an exhale for black folks where there's just this sense of relief and relaxation and i know it was hectic but do you still feel that do you still get that sense i enjoyed it i definitely what it did for me too is okay it's a lot you got to really plan but I definitely want to start going back to the vineyard. Like-minded people, it's expensive. You can't take it with you. As was Denzel, like I said, he's never seen a hearse attached to a, never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. And, but, with, but this was interesting. We ran into one of Tony's friends and he phrased it this way. I said, I'm going to keep that. He said, he refuses to live poor and die rich. I said, I know that's right. You know what I mean? It was excellent. I mean, it was, I had a great time. And I, I had planned two weeks. Like I said, I only got one. But that one week was really fun. And I'm definitely going to go back and just, the thing is, I guess you got to find your rhythm. You got to find how it works for you and your family and the home you want to rent and the weeks that go that work for you. So I'm going to experiment the next couple of years with some different weeks and find something. Because I think I'm I'm, I'm ready for something different in the summer. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for a different experience. So I definitely enjoyed going back to the vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. And in fairness, the crowd is really only that intense for that period of time. July is not quite as bad. or August is like the popular month. Yeah, the most popular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of fabulous vacations, and I have seen some photographs from your trip to Italy. And I need to clarify, you referred to your trip over there with the Johnsons. It was not my wife and I, but it was <laughs> Cookie and Irvin. <laughs> You did it at a different level. But Vanessa, I saw a picture of Tony on what looked like a little inflatable boat behind what looked to be a pretty massive yacht. And he had his hands behind his head, his sunglasses on, and he just looked like he could have stayed there forever. But this trip looked unbelievable that you just came back from. So what can you share from your trip? I saw Capri, I saw Monte Carlo and just beautiful clothes. You guys look fantastic. And it just looked like high style. What was that like? Yeah, you definitely go shopping for that trip. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Brad? 
there's just blessings that come to you that you don't understand why, but then why not? You're just grateful. You don't know what you did. As Tony likes to say, we feel like we hit the lottery. We're good friends with Irvin and Cookie Johnson. Those are the Johnsons you're talking about. We raised our kids at the same school and we've known each other for 20 years. And they are a very loved couple here in Los Angeles. People adore them and rightfully because they're terrific people. And I'm not just saying that because I've been on the yacht with them, but they really are good, God-fearing, beautiful people inside and out. And the way they share and give and love other people is a testament to why God has blessed them so much. You know, too much is given, much is required. And you see why they are blessed because they are blessings to so many. And we've been invited to the big trips, 2016. He flew 100 people, 50 couples, to the south of France to surprise cookie for their 25th anniversary. He had three yachts. We were on the party yacht. And I'm not going to name drop the people that were on that yacht, but baby, it was a yacht. It was about 30, 40 of us on this yacht. And the bedroom looked like the Ritz-Carlton. I'm telling you, the bedroom. It was, that trip alone was amazing. And he surprised Cookie with this big birthday, the anniversary party. And every place that we docked, because it was the south of France, and then we went to Italy, and everywhere we docked, there was a major party. When I'm not talking about party. I'm talking about major, lavish, extravagant party. So we, we're always invited to stuff, their home and Dodger games or whatever. And he's just so giving. But last year, my husband lost his father. And Irv is so tuned into people. He is sensitive to other people's needs and their happiness. Then, of course, he called my husband because he loved my father-in-law, too. He really loved my father-in-law. And he talked to my husband. And then about a month or so after that, we get this invitation from He calls us. And he loves the element of surprise. And he wants to talk. And I know well enough when he, when his assistant calls and says, Mr. Johnson, she calls him Mr. Johnson, he wants to speak to you and tell us. I said, oh, what is he up Because if he wants me, he'll just call me. Hey. I was like, okay, what are you doing? He wants me and Tony. So he gets us both on the phone. And he says, hey, what are y'all doing? I said, oh, we're doing it. We're just chilling, whatever. What you doing, such and such, gives us this time. And at that last year, I was going to take Tony to Kabul, just on a trip. I said, oh, for his birthday. I said, I'm going to take Tony to Cabo for his Oh, okay. Because I thought maybe you wanted to go with me and Cookie. And we were like, what? I said, Cabo, what? <laughs> <laughs> I canceled Cabo's on a Cabo. So last year, we went on the yacht for two weeks. And of course, you do the whole south of France and you do the Mafi Coast. And it was incredible. It was incredible, the stops. And it was like, you, you pull up, you're on this yacht. You get off to the tender, the tender goes to the, the port. And next thing you know, all these black cars are lined up. You get in the black cars and they whisk you off to wherever you're going. It's out of a movie. Oh, man. So this year, we're, I had the house rented for Martha's Vineyard for two weeks. And I had that since, Brad, you got to get that early. I had it in since December and I was lucky to get that house because I waited a little late. But it was, I had the house rented and we had family and friends coming for two weeks. And then we get a call, hey, from his assistant. Mr. Jackson wants to know if you guys, you know, like to join him at Cookie. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I can't be invited. <laughs> I said, Tony, we must have been good house guests because we had invited back. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I rented a house for two weeks and I had people coming and was really concerned because Allie, my youngest daughter's boyfriend's parents were coming. I'm not that person like, oh, y'all, 
I have to get y'all. I'm going to right. Europe. Bigger, better deal. Yeah, I got a bigger Y'all ain't so important after all. Y'all just do you. <laughs> and I felt really bad about that. And Tony was like, are you crazy? Because I had almost turned it down. So thank you, but I don't think we could go. Like, are you crazy? They'll be fine. We don't get opportunities like, of course, and Herb, he was teasing me, saying, you glad you didn't say no, huh? Because this year, Brad, oh my God, as spectacular as last year was, this year was amazing. For whatever reason, he got a, he used a different yacht. And the yacht, all these yachts that he's had, this is the third yacht I've been on that he's rented. They're all like, fantastic. I'd take any one of them, I could care less. But this one was like just, it was like a step above the other ones. It was amazing. The Phoenix. How did you get over there? This year, he threw a little something in. So he was like, because last year with the COVID and the airports. So he said, we just flew over there with them. So we left here. We flew from here to New York. We spent the night in New York. And then the next day, once again, we come out. The cars are lined up. Whiskers off to White Plains where his private jet was. So we flew from L.A. to New York. And then New York to, we went to Nice. On this private jet. <clears throat> now that was, and I've been on a couple of private jets before, but that one was like major. And he is just so giving and so loving. And my favorite part of the trip is we sit around this table and we have dinner and lunches and we talk a lot. <clears throat> and that's what's so special because you get one-on-one -on -one time with him. I have been, and I told her this, we, when we see each other out, of course, we always go hug him and cookie. I have actually been pushed out of the way by somebody who was trying to get to him. So trying to talk to them in public is just difficult. But you'd say, how you doing? Kiss him and go on a bunch of business because there's literally like a receiving line trying to get to him. But so it's so special when he invites you on a trip like this because you get this one-on-one -on -one time. And when I tell you how brilliant this man is, there are some people in this world that are just really special and you don't know why that makes them so special. But he is such a special human being. He's so focus. You learn so much. I could sit and listen to him talk for hours. So we'll sit around this table and we just talk about nothing. But in nothing, you learn so much about him and the other people you're with. And he loves to ask questions like, what was your first car? Everybody goes around and talks about the first car, your first kiss. What would you do if that? And this and these conversations, they grow and they take on different formats and they go to different areas and you sit there and then he'll tell stories the stories to tell about the Lakers or when he was growing up or the light. And you go, my God, this man is brilliant. He is where he is because of his brilliance. And the thing that I love to watch him <clears throat> is to watch him watching his guests because you could tell what gives him absolute joy. And it's about life. What gives you joy in life? Some people get joy out of their children. Some people get joy. I love having dinner parties. I get joy out of cooking and bringing people together and connecting people. That makes me happy. It's a lot of work, but it makes me happy. And you can watch him and the joy he gets is surprising and giving to other people and seeing how they respond to the beauties and the gifts that he bestows upon them. That makes him so happy. You can just see him light up like a Christmas tree when he sits there and he watches these people that he's handpicked for whatever reason from together, enjoying the fruits of his labor. And him sharing what he's been blessed with, what he and Cookie have been blessed with. And Cookie's just as gracious. She's just and a girlfriend's girlfriend. And what I love about both of them is we all know they're very wealthy. They've been really blessed. But they don't wear it on their sleeves. 
they don't wear their wealth. They're not those kind of people that I'm wealthy, you're not. Like every little thing they do, they they are so unassuming and just so giving. So we were blessed twice in a row, two years straight. And I always say, <clears throat> I said in 2016, if I don't ever go on a trip like this again, I'm good because I did it. And I'll say it again this year. If he never invites me again, I'm okay because they need to have the experience that we've had, that's something that Tony and I could have never done on our own at this point in our life. Maybe when I come back in another form at another time. But it was just all the ports and just all the shopping and the meals, the camaraderie and just, just, and the people on the yacht. Oh my God, if you've never yachted before, they unpack your clothes. You take something off, you work out in the morning because there's a gym on the yacht. And by the time you come back to your room, Beds, everything's your bedroom's cleaned up. You put your workout clothes in a hamper. You go into town. You have lunch. Cut back. All your stuff's been washed. You get spoiled, and you can even just say, "Oh, I think I would love a pizza." You come back home, so here come a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> they call you ahead of time. What's your favorite liquor? What do you like to drink? I mean, top shelf. So it's just an amazing, it's an opportunity, and it's something that you wish that a lot of people could experience, especially our people, something like that, because it just, it just shows you about life and how some people live, and we deserve. They deserve that. They deserve that. And he's been doing it for 30 years, too. He's been doing yachting for 30 years. And they deserve that. And it's just such a, it was just such an honor. And just, it's just hard to explain how fantastic that trip is. Well, it says a lot about you and Tony that Cookie and Irvin would choose to share that with you. But Vanessa, I've been watching the, the Lakers series on Hulu and really struck by Irvin's just natural intellect at such mm -hmm. a young age before he was as polished as he is now, but his take on things. And he commented uh, during the series that he's won at every level. He won mm -hmm. championships in high school, championship in college, in NBA championships. He, and now in life, he's continued to win. And when I look at how you all experienced that trip and hear you talk about it, if I had that kind of money, that is what I would want. That's how I'd want to do it with my friends, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just see other people enjoying it with you rather than you having it and looking down at everybody else. I told him he inspired me because we have a condo in Miami and this past Memorial Weekend, now I've done it before for my 50th birthday in this building, I can get condos at a discount. And for my 50th, I did that. I got so many condos and I, it was like about 40 people came in, girlfriends, and I put people like about four people per condo. But this past May, I, had, I hosted my sorority sisters in Miami. And it, I told her, it just, he inspired me. So I hosted them and got a boat. We went out one day on a boat. I had assignments on the beach. Just, I was trying to surprise them as much as I can. And some of my other sorors, they were part of our planning committee. So we just did a beautiful weekend <clears throat> for our sorority sister. But he inspired me to do that because I made, I wanted to give and touch other people and make sure that they had a good time by experiencing something that I knew I could do that was easy for me to do for them. That's nice. That's lovely. Yep. Talking about you and Tony for a minute, it's so rare to find two people as successful as both of you are respectively and as nice and genuinely good people. And whenever I see Tony coming, I'd see him coming in the restaurant. It's always just warm and love. And he's just a great guy. And I know you know that. Raising kids in Hollywood, Vanessa, LA can be a really trippy place, but you two have really weathered it. 
as a couple for three decades. So what has it meant to you to have that kind of stability at home? Teamwork makes the dream work. Tony and I, we get each other, and simply put. We always have. And we don't get on each other's nerves. I tell people that. It's what makes your marriage work. Because they're always asking me, how do you raise kids and have a marriage and a career? There's a lot of things. But the one thing is we don't get on each other's nerves. What I mean by that is I'm not a nagger, never have been. I give him his space. It gives me mine. I realize that I married a person and he's going to change and grow, which he has. And so have I. And we've allowed each other to change and grow. And we've grown and changed with each other, even if it's not at the same time. Sometimes at the same time, sometimes one person goes first, then the next person catches up. But you got to allow that. You got to know that love that you have initially, that insatiable love. That's great, but it doesn't last like that. After you get out the bed, it's okay, now what we're doing, especially when kids start getting into the picture. Parenting, you have to have the same ideas about parenting. And we talk. We always had a plan. I remember when we were getting ready for our wedding, we were already living together. And we were like, oh my God, I would be so glad when this wedding is over with so we can start. But because we had plans and we just wanted to get to our life, get the wedding over so we could start executing our plans. And we're still like that. We always have plans. But I think the thing that really works is like Tony does his, I see it like this. He does hell, I do me. We do each other and we do the kids. So we have moments where Tony does his thing, I do my thing, we do together. And then sometimes we bring the kids to the picture. And that's important. You need space. You need time to just be your own person to hang out with your friends, your family, or or by yourself and not have to be bothered. You don't always have to be joined at the hip. I don't have time to run after Tony Calloway. It's, I always tell me, hey, that's between you and your God. <clears throat> because if you do something in the dark, it's going to come out of light because I'm busy. I ain't got time to run after you and figure out what you do. And I think with that trust, a mutual trust and respect, we love each other, but we like each other. As a matter of fact, he made a joke when we got back from, because we flew from Europe right to Martha's Vineyard. So we were gone three weeks. And a month before that, we were in Jamaica for a week, and then we were in Hawaii before that. So we've been on a lot of trips since March. We were in the wine country with some friends in March. So we've been all, gone a lot. And he said when we got back, he said, well, I guess we still like each other because we didn't say. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, maybe I guess we still like each other because we were gone for three weeks. All that traveling. Too. All that traveling. Every day for three weeks. Every day. <clears throat> but we had a great time. And the thing, too, is like we both have such an appreciation for life and family and love that we enjoy moments like being blessed that the Johnsons invited us on that trip. I see, I have seen him at his happiest on those trips. Relaxed and very happy. The vineyard. And so we appreciate the things that God has given us and so why go somewhere and be unhappy and complain and fight? But we just have a mutual respect and love for each other. We don't get on each other's nerves. We support each other. He has forced me, challenged me in my career. If I'm a little down and because we all get down and my business is very difficult. And he'll challenge me, like, get up, get out. I remember one time, some job, I can't remember when the kids were little and I was complaining and I didn't want to leave because Allie, Allie was like my koala baby. She was attached to me. And, if I'd leave, she would just get sick and fall apart. And I said, oh, I said, girl, you better get out here and get your butt on that plate. And he goes, go get there. <laughs> so things like that. He doesn't let me, sure. he won't let me get into a space where I'm not productive. And, and I appreciate that. He's always challenged me. What's the next thing? What am I doing next? And I appreciate that. And he's such a great leader of our family. He's always figuring out like, how are we going to retire and this and 
the next move financially, we need to do this and what he needs to do as a man to make sure he, because he loves, he'll tell you, he loves taking care of his girls. He's got three women. He's the only man in his house. And he'll tell you, he loves taking care of us. And he does. And that man gets up and goes to work every day on time. He's very focused, very serious. And he's never complained, Brad, never complained about working or what he has to do to keep all this going. So when the kids were little, I used to tell them, I said, you go over there and you kiss your father and you tell him you love him. You see all this right mm-hmm. here? That's him. Because you know, my job, work for me is in and out. I told him one time, I said, that Mercedes Benz out there, we'd be in that car sleeping, trying to run from the repo man <laughs> right now. Because they, they went to all these private schools. They did all that. So I always made my girls respect their father. And when the girls were growing up, if I said, no, you can't go, you don't go to Tony and then try to change that. Tony would be like, what's your mama say? Oh, you can't go. So we never, we always had a, a strong front. They could never conquer and divide, which kids try to do. But they could never conquer and divide us. We would be on the same page. And that's what a lot of people fall apart about, money and raising kids. So we always stayed on the same page about our finance and raising those girls. And then the other thing I think that works for us is there's things I don't want to be bothered with. There's things he don't want to be bothered with. So we respect each other's strengths. I don't have to try to control and do everything. And he doesn't either. So his strengths, I let him do. The things that he really wants to take lead on and And make sure this, he's uh, anal about several things, about taxes and he's anal about stuff. Hey, I'm glad you ain't about that ab attic because I don't want to bother with that. No. And the stuff that I wanted to take the lead on, he didn't interfere with that. That also kept harmony in our house. We respect each other's strengths. And as you do what you're best at and let me do what I'm best at. And then we'll do things together. So there's a lot of things. And next Saturday, it's 34 years. Wow. We got married September 3rd, 1988. Yeah. That's phenomenal. If you told me, and this is the thing that really gets me, is I loved him when I said I do. But if you would have told me that 34 years later, I love him even more, I would have hoped so. Because that's why I said I do that day. But I actually love and respect and like him even more today than I did then. Mm. I love that. Tony is a special cat, man. No no question about that. And uh, he obviously got a good one in you, but uh, that, that's why it works. And Vanessa, I want to take a little step back here to up to Cleveland, Ohio, and what y- your life was like, what the Bell household was like. And I, I know that you got interested, obviously, in the arts. At some point, you graduated from Ohio University with a, a degree in fine arts. But what was home life like back then for you? That West Brad is just so mundane. <laughs> it's very boring. But that's good because... Sometimes it's good to grow up boring because you appreciate the simple things in life. Simplicity is nice to have. And I had a very simple childhood. We weren't dirt poor, but we were poor, meaning my mother had to work like two and three jobs to take care of us. She was a single mother. So I was a latchkey kid. We would come home, do our homework. We had chores. Sometimes my mother would come home and we loved it. She called it catch as catch can. It means whatever you see the refrigerator eating because we ain't got no food tonight. Actually, we loved it because then she would make corn pancakes. And I thought that was great. She would put a can of corn in the pancake mix and you make corn pancakes. What's up? Oh, my God. For dinner? Come on, what? Never had that. I was like, <laughs> I hit the lotto tonight. But we, were, we didn't have a lot of money. But we were clean. We were well-behaved. She didn't let us talk that street gang and yeah, ain't this. We had to speak. We had to read. She made us go to the library and read. I went to Catholic school, which was 
down the street from me. That's when you could walk to school. <laughs> and I went to Catholic school all my life. And she worked hard to make sure that she could pay Catholic school tuition, which was a lot of money back then, you know, however many hundreds of dollars when you are working three jobs, that's a lot of money for you to raise. So it was a very, very simple life. As a teenager, I remember I might go to a party once every month, maybe somebody have a party. I like my daughters who grew up here in LA with the social calendar to be rivaled by many. Shoot, they party and as adults, young adults, they're like, they're busy. I didn't have that. We didn't have events, red carpet events, premieres and screenings and elaborate sleepovers. We, I would have sleepovers with my girlfriends from school, but that just entailed them coming over and us watching TV and popping popcorn. <laughs> that was a sleepover there. My mother would take us to the convention center when they would have those car shows and home and garden shows. <laughs> She'd dress us up and take us downtown. And that was an event for us. And stop to get some ice cream. What? Come on now. I remember when McDonald's opened up, we went to McDonald's and because they happened in our neighborhood. That was special. Just going to McDonald's was really special. To get them, by the time you had the french fries on, they were cold, but you didn't care against you. She went to McDonald's. So that was my childhood. We used to have Kool-Aid stands in the street. I, I have a vivid memory of the 60s in Cleveland, Ohio, like the mid to late 60s, more, more like towards the late 60s. When the Temptations and the Four Tops, all that good Motown music, we had next door neighbors, brother and sister, and my brother and I were tight and we would have Kool-Aid stands and the music would be blasting it. Literally the song Dancing in the Street. Those are the kind of memories I have. My brother and I, we were entrepreneurs. We had a tree and we made the swing in our backyard. And we charged you three cents for a short ride and a nickel for a long ride. <laughs> we made bumper cars. Me and my brother went to sweep out the, got a job at somebody's store to sweep the floor so we can get candy. That, those are the memories I have growing up. And then I went to Ohio University, which is four hours away from Cleveland. And I literally, I was, this is all the kids are going back to school right now. And I was in the car thinking, I said, wow. Because like, so my daughters, of course, we all planes, we went to Atlanta, or we had, I had Bed Bath & Beyond stuff picked up and we had a, rent a, a big SUV because we had to buy all this stuff. They got TVs, they had all this bedding and all this stuff. And we moved them into these dorm rooms. I laid these dorm rooms out like they were little apartments. Shoot, red. My stepdad got me this old Volkswagen with the sunroof. And you can tell you how they paint a car that looks like they painted somebody like just took a spray paint and painted the car. That's what it looked like. Never forget it was blue and stick ship. I got that car. I put some suitcases and some bags in that car. I backed out of my mother's driveway and drove myself to Ohio University, found my dorm and unpacked and made up my bed and put some stuff in the drawer. That's all. That's that's how I went to college. And I'm just looking because I have a friend now who's staying at my home because her daughter's going to Loyola down the street from me. And I'm like, it's such a big rites of passage now to take a kid to college. She, when we went to college, just got your butt and went to college. I don't think either of my parents ever visited my college. My mother came like a parents weekend or something. That was, that was it. Yeah. But nobody went to school with me yeah. to get me in that dorm. So that was my life. It was just, but it's good because, like I said, it was simple. It grounded me. It kept me humble. And those things we don't realize really do follow you into adulthood. 
It really does. So I'm grateful for my mundane life at Cleveland, Ohio, growing up. Those qualities that it instilled in you, mm -hmm. Vanessa, are still, that you still mm -hmm. see them in your personality. So at some point you decide, you make the decision that the New York City is the move that, that you have to make. So what brought about that decision and why New York and how did you find your way from Cleveland to New York? Now I'm at Ohio University. It's my freshman year. I was there for fine hours. Actually, I was in the dance department and I see on this bulletin board that Alvin Ailey's having auditions for a summer scholarship. Now, I had never been to New York before. The only thing I heard was Steenie Wonders. Guys, great. Just like I thought you living in the city. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking in New York. And I didn't know how, but I said, I've got to get to New York. I have got to audition for this summer scholarship. Right? I wish that I could find that girl again and get some of them balls she had at 19 years old. Sometimes I need her in my life again because what made me think that a girl from Cleveland, Ohio, up in Athens, Ohio at this point, which is even further away from Cleveland, that I'm going to get to New York to audition for Alvin Ailey to get a scholarship for the summer. And I knew I, I was like, oh, no, I'm getting one of these scholarships. Oh, I, I don't know how many they're giving. If they're giving 50, I don't care if I'm number 49 or number 50, I'm getting a scholarship. So I come home and uh, no, I had, I just pledged, I just pledged. And my line sister lived in White Plains, New York. That is nowhere near New York City. So I tell my, I tell my mother, and I'm saying, look, I got a friend. She said I can stay with her in White Plains. And my mother and my stepfather said, you know what? Let's give this girl some money because if we don't get her to New York, she's going to walk to New York. Because I was that determined, and I bugged them to death. I was like, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. So they gave me money for a Greyhound bus ticket. I took a suitcase. I had a suitcase, Brad. You know, we traveled today with all this stuff. I had a suitcase. For the summer, who does that <laughs> And I didn't have no clothes back then, so it was easy to have a suitcase. It's like I had a lot of options of things to wear. <laughs> so I get the, the bus ride to New York City. I talked to this poor woman to death, and I just told her, I said, I'm going to get this scholarship. I just knew. And when I walked into that place that day, when I tell you, and I could dance my blood off, and I was really good. But what these kids, because these kids were coming from like New York, uh, D.C., that big school they have in D.C., I forget the name of it, but a famous fine arts school, like fame. These kids are like, right? these kids are coming from all over. The girls' legs are like up to here. And, and I'm watching people dance and I focused. And I said, Vanessa, and I told myself, my only competition was myself. And I just kept saying, you just need one spot. You just need one scholarship. So when it was my turn, I danced for Jesus, honey. I danced like I had never danced before. And it keep eliminating, it keep eliminating. And I was kept staying. And lo and behold, I got that scholarship. So I, then I had, to, I had to get jobs. So I got a job at Alexander's. And first I got a job at Boutique. And then I got a job at Alexander's, the department store. Because I didn't, I didn't have any money. I didn't have, I was still above my girls. I wish I had Tony and Vanessa. Because I didn't have Tony and Vanessa growing up. So I didn't have no money. And I stayed all summer. And because I was already, I had gotten a scholarship, the good thing about getting that scholarship is I was like in the, like one of their people now, one of their children, so to speak. So every summer while I was in college, I would go to New York and I could dance for free. It was already renewed. I had my scholarship renewed. And I would go to Alvinators at Christmas time. For the two weeks out, I would go there and dance for those two weeks. So when I graduated, I moved to New York because 
Alvin Ailey was there. And then I've been familiar with New York now. And I knew that I wanted to live there and I wanted to pursue my dance career. And I wanted to dance with Alvin Ailey. But God is good. I didn't dance with Alan Ailey because if I had a dance with Alan Ailey, I wouldn't be sitting there talking to you. It was heartbreaking at the time, but things worked out for this post. The right reason. So I don't think I've ever asked you this, Vanessa. And as I mentioned, I met you at the cellar at my dad's place. But how did you ever find the cellar of all places in New York City? This is a true story, and I'm not exaggerating. Now, after I move, as I graduate, my grandmother gives me like $500. And I paid her back. I want you to know. I love, borrowed it and I did pay her back mm-hmm. eventually. But she gives me $500. Once again, I take the Greyhound bus because the tickets are like $70 there or something. So I had figured out I'd take the bus. And at first, I was living in the, the, the white WCA, which was scary. The one on 14th, right by Union Square. So my mother's friend found out that I was living there and he had this old apartment in downtown Brooklyn. So he let me move there and he charged me $300. And I literally had a dresser and a mattress, but I moved into this basement apartment. But I moved there because he didn't think I should stay at the YWCA. Bless his heart. Glad he had that because I didn't have no sense. I woke up one day with $50 left to my name. And I said, I have got to get a job today. I have $50. So I got up early. I took the train from Brooklyn into Times Square, started 42nd. It must have been like about nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning when things start opening. And I zigzagged from Columbus to seven to eight Broadway. And I just zigzagged, zigzagged. I was stopping at uh, retail stores. I was stopping at restaurants. I was just stopping anywhere. It was like any, meeny, miny, mo. We didn't have the internet then. Like, who was, who was like actually hiring? So I look up and it's now nine o'clock at night. And I'm at 96 in Columbus. And I see the lights of the cellar. And I'm exhausted. But I still don't have a job and I ain't got no money. And by that time, that $50 was probably 47 or 46 because I'm sure I ate something that day. So I was like, oh, my God, this is one. I said, God. And I just took my little tired self over there. And Vaughn, your manager at the time, I walk in and I asked him, they were looking for waitresses. And I lied, basically. I really, I guess I exaggerated because. My stepdad had a, a shop where he sold hamburgers and ice cream, and I would work there after school. Mm-hmm. So I figured, how hard could it be to ask somebody what they want, bring it to them with a smile, and pick up the dirty place, bring it back, and start all over again? So I told him that, that I'd waitress before, and he had me come back the next day. And when I tell you this, the seller saved my life and brought so much, so many opportunities. It brought me so much joy. That was one of the best jobs and best times and great memories. I had literally, that's the mattress I had after working there about six or seven months, I was able to buy a sofa bed. I never forgot Jennifer's sofa baby in New York. I thought I was in high cotton. I bought a sofa bed. I was so happy I got off that floor. The very first commercial I did, I was like, oh, I don't know if you remember this, Brad, but oh, Diane, this is me. Yeah. <laughs> that was classic. That's, classic. that's a New York classic. Yeah. I got classic. that commercial there. George Faison was a regular, and I used to, when I saw him come in, I was just like, I didn't care who stationed it was. I was like, so I uh, stalked him for quite a while and harassed that poor man. We became friends, actually, and, and he had me, because I was telling him what a good dance I was. And he thought, I'm the same, good damn, let me see what you got. So I went and auditioned for him, and I ended up dancing with him. And he had a company for a little while, and I did that. 
man, I met all need to sell kind of guys there. Some good, some different, some crazy, whatever. <laughs> Even dated a couple of them with my crazy stuff. But yeah, so the seller just brought a lot of wonderful things. And the music we used to have, Johnny Kemp. Oh, yeah. Allison yeah. Wing. I saw Allison at in the vineyard. She was singing at a function there a couple of weeks ago. So I have great memories of the cellar, and it saved me. I mean, it really did. That one meal that used to get after you, waitress, honey, that kept in handy because I was eating oatmeal and yogurt. And this is how crazy, this is how God protects babies and fools, Brad. It'd be two o'clock when I left the cellar. I'd have at least $200 cash on me from tips. And because that's how I lived. That's how I paid my rent. That's how I ate was with those tips. And I only worked a couple, a few times a week. But you have enough money that you had enough money to pay your monthly bills. $600 or $500 back then was a lot. And my rent was $300. And I made that in one week. Then the other money I made the rest of the weeks. And I'm a saver. I saved. I'm a good saver. But I would be on the train going from 96th Street to mm. downtown Brooklyn and have to walk through downtown Brooklyn to get to my apartment with cash money on me. Two, three o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning by the time I get home. That's God protects babies and fools. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that was yeah, dangerous. Yeah, you had somebody watching Dangerous over you. Was. No question. Yeah. So Vanessa, let's move out to the West Coast here because you made a decision at some point mid eighties and it was a migration of a lot of folks that I knew moving out that way at the same time that had come up through the theater ranks, Fishburne, Denzel, Wesley. But what brought about that decision to think that it was time that you should try life in Los Angeles? Well, I was on all my children at the time and my character Yvonne was a singer. And back then, they were trying to be diverse, but they still really missed the mark. So they brought a black girl on, and Jesse and Angie were a couple. And I broke up their marriage. So if I was a white girl, I would break up their marriage, and then they would just send me to the the neighbors around the corner and let me break up their marriage. They would have another storyline for me. I would be... For the home record. Whatever. I would just be... Or I would change my life and do something else. But if I was white, I would be able to move in these, in this soap opera to these other neighbors. I'd be able to fit into their lives. When they have black characters, they have a very specific storyline. And varying from that storyline was very difficult for them. So I'm reading scripts. And reading scripts that are coming up, I read that I leave town. I'm like, what? I mean, they didn't have the decency like to call me in the office and just say, hey, we just want to let you know. Oh, that was how they were writing your character out? She was leaving town. I was going to L.A. to become a singer. And I said, well, if it's good enough for you, Violet, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so you see, was my character's name. Life imitating art. The only time I'd been in L.A. is I was in the original company of Dreamgirls on Broadway. And Dreamgirls was opening up here in L.A. And a group of us flew out here to support the cast. But that was like a quick turnaround. We literally flew out, saw the show, went to the party got up, got on the plane, and got back to New York. So that was my only time, and that had been years prior. So I said, if Yvonne can move to L.A., so is Vanessa. So I got a one-way ticket. I've got a room and a friend's, a, a friend of a friend. She wasn't even a friend. I didn't even know the lady. But she was a friend of the friend. And I rented her room for a year because I was saving my money. But let me tell you something, Brad. Because by the time I moved out here, I had been on, I'd done a, a two Broadway shows after the cell. I did two Broadway shows. I did some off-Broadway shows. I did a couple of soap operas, and then I was very well-known in All My Children. 
And I had saved like about $40,000. Wow. Yeah. And then instead of getting an apartment, I moved in the back of somebody's house to keep saving money. And another reason I'm about it, because in New York, everything I was auditioning for, back then it wasn't like a lot of stuff. These kids are so blessed. They got so many different streaming systems. It's so many shows. And God, I mean, we didn't have that. Ray Dallin Charles was the, the girlfriend of the white girlfriend for everything. She was the actress of choice then. And nice person, but they just couldn't visualize anybody else. So we couldn't get work. You couldn't even get the friend of the friend. And the few little parts that came up, I would audition and I would get the same feedback. Oh, she's really good. But then they would hire people in L.A. because it made sense because the show was shooting in L.A. So financially it made sense. So I said, you know what? They're going to tell me another lie because I'm going to go out to L.A. And I'm going to start auditioning and they're going to tell me something because this, you're good, but. So that was another reason. And it was time for a change, I felt. I had done all I could do. I had done lots of commercials. I, like I said, I'd been in Broadway shows and some other soap operas. It was just not a whole lot going on. There was more things going on here. At least TV, I could hopefully get a little something here or there. Because it was the end of the 80s where they were trying to be a little bit more inclusive. And it was a good decision because when I moved out here, I immediately started working. And I mean, I worked. And I alluded to the fact that Alan Ailey, I left Alvin Ailey and it was a good thing because working at the cellar, I would get off at two, three o'clock in the morning, like I was saying, get back to my Brooklyn apartment at three o'clock. But I had an eight o'clock ballet class back in the city and I started, my performance started to slack, but I had to work because I didn't have any money. I didn't have parents that were taking care of me. I had to take care of myself. So I eventually had to leave Alvin Ailey because it just wasn't working and I was disappointed. But it actually, there's no mistakes in life. It was the best thing that happened to me because I'm such a loyal person that I probably would have stayed at Ailey's forever if they would have put me in the company or shown that they were going to do something with my talent. And by leaving Alvin Ailey, that's when my whole career opened up because in New York, I left the cellar because I got my summer stock show, The Wiz. And I toured that summer, different summer stocks doing The Wiz. I was the eye of the tornado, honey. I was <laughs> at a scarecrow, <laughs> but that's how I got my equity card. And that's how I started getting the unions. And from there, I started getting commercials and I got into SAG. So leaving Alvin Ailey really was the best thing for me at the time. By the time I got out here, I had enough, I had enough experience on TV, not enough, but I had theater and people really respect theater credits out here. I've done a lot of theater. So getting out here, I started working immediately and it was really good. Your timing was fortuitous. You know, mm -hmm. you, Falcon Crest, L.A. Law, different world. And then, of course, in 88, you landed coming to America. Right. And uh, then Crimson Tide, what's love got to do with it. Just on and on. Your credits uh, go on a, a long way there. So most recently, this Black Hamptons series, I, as I said, I watched the trailer and your character, Carolyn Britton, is she, I'll just say she's got some edge to her. And it's about the old money versus new money struggle. But so talk about what's happening in the Black Hamptons. That's just, it's going to be fun. It's dynasty-ish, I guess you could say, that nighttime soap opera where you say old money versus new money power. And Carol Britton definitely is power hungry. She has money. She comes from money. They own banks. And she's unapologetically rich and bougie. And she... Literally, is trying to run everybody and everything. She's got her sons. She runs their lives. And they're not going to break away from mama because they want to keep 
their lifestyle, their money, their cars, and the allowance that they get to help me with, to help her with the business. So it's going to be fun. And you and I both know the Hamptons and the Vineyard. They're totally different. Vineyard, like we were saying earlier, is more laid back and just really chill. Hamptons is chill too, but the social level at the Hamptons is just a different societal type of hierarchy, pecking order there is different mm. from like the vineyard. People in the vineyard got money because it ain't cheap to be there. But people in the Hamptons, the black folks, you just kind of, they kind of wear it. They might see it. So it, it's fun. We shot it in LA. I hope it's a hit. Really looking forward to being in my show that I just finished Saints and Sinners on Bounce TV. We had six seasons of that. And that was such a blessing. I was quite a, a appeal in that one too. Lady Ella, I was the head of the church. And it was a blessing. I was the star of the show and I directed some of the episodes. And I really appreciated that job. But it ended this past year. We had our last season air. So out of nowhere, I get a call from Tridestin Production, Trey Halley, who's a director. And I've done some things with them before. Do things for people because I like folks or either I want to work with the people or I like the project. And sometimes you get paid $5.99. I always say you get paid $5 to do something. But if I want to be there, I want to be there. And I do it because I want to do it. And this is a group of people that I genuinely like. And I would do, I've done some things for them. And I think it wasn't that great. The projects were okay. But I like them. When they would call to ask me to help them, I would. And see, this is why you never know. I get a call last, like, October, September, October. Hey, what are you doing? We got this project. And they gifted me this beautiful part which I think something's going to happen with this because if it does, it'll become a series. It'll go from like a mini series to a series. Mm. And I just kind of have the feeling that some, something good's going to come out of it. So hey, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing where Carol goes. Yeah, it looks like you're having fun. I mean, the clothes are great. You look fantastic. It's a little over the top, but, but that's fun. Yeah. That's what we want to see. We'll see it. Turning back a little bit closer to home, let's talk about Lamert Park and the surrounding communities that for so long have been historically black. View Park, Baldwin Hills, Adara. So the real estate market over there has gone a little crazy in the last few years. And I know you and Tony live and own property in the community. I also recently read about Essawan Books closing up at the end of the year. That's a bookstore that's just been a fixture in Lamert since the 80s. And uh, Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Plaza with Post and Beam is now under new ownership and going through some changes and construction remains to be seen what's going to come of that. Debbie Allen Dance Academy just moved to the new Shonda Rhimes facility over on Pico. But then you've got SoFi Stadium, the Olympics coming in 2028. So, Vanessa, I'm sure from a property ownership standpoint, the increased demand is a good thing. Your values are going up. But I'm curious what your thoughts are about how the culture in that part of town is evolving. It's a mixed bag for me. We want growth and progression in our area. We've been fussing for years. Bring the better stores over here. We want the better restaurants. I personally, I don't want to drive to Beverly Hills to have a nice evening. I'm not that person who feels like I've got to be in Brentwood or Beverly Hills or in Bel Air to feel like I'm in high cotton. Nah, that's out of my neighborhood. I don't feel like driving. We still go to Post to That's our spot. We still go there. So like when you brought that, we were happy. Yes, a quality restaurant where I could drive five minutes from my house. How about that? Why do I have to go all the way to Beverly Hills? So to bring all these, the wonder the, of these new things in the neighborhood, that's great. We've been asking for that. We need that. But the other side is, but you don't get to come in and change the culture. Understand where you're moving and what's been here before you come. The appropriation is, is you just don't get to come in and change stuff. We own the whole block in Limerick Park, the Regency. 
we've been there. My father-in-law bought that Bible over 50 years ago. We've been there for 50 years. Now, all of a sudden, those little homes that would nobody think to buy, folks are coming in and paying a million dollars for a mm-hmm. bread. Around the Regency, those houses are going for almost a million dollars now. So now you get people coming there and now they want to complain and they want us to shut down. Say, no, that's like moving across the street from a school and complaining that you hear the kids. Research your neighborhood. We've been here for 50 years. Why should we go? Because now you're coming in and you don't want to hear. You moved next to a party venue, honey. So you're going to hear some noise on the weekend. And we're respectful to our neighbors, but you're gonna. it's going to be foot traffic. It's busy. It's a yeah. commercial area. Your house may be down the street from it. And you're mad because you can't park now. It's, it's been like that. And let's talk about the parking. We used to have a parking lot across the street. The city's taking that over because they want to build more stuff there. So now all of those, cause like where S1 is, all that Lamar Park, we don't have any parking now. So now you have an area that's commercial, that has stores and beauty salons. And the Alexander Pullum has the after-school program, his program for kids. Aziz took over. Giles Singleton was our tenant. That's where his office was when he passed. Aziz took that over. Now it's an art, beautiful art gallery. You have all of this. Where are we supposed to park? Where are these people supposed to park? They're getting so greedy now. They're taking every little piece of land and building a, a high rise or something. And they don't want you to park because they a little sorry metro that they built in the middle of Crenshaw looking all ghetto. They thinking everybody's going to take that. And ain't nobody taking that metro or and some people may, but you that's you taking away parking is not going to drive people to the metro. Mm-hmm. People still want their car. Nobody going to take that metro without a car. So it's a lot going on. It's a mess in some ways because now because there's no parking, the neighbors are getting upset because they can't, because a lot of those people don't have driveways because there's apartments and, or just those houses that just have street parking and no driveway. So all the parking, and you should have seen Juneteenth. Oh my God, people parked on sidewalks. It was, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Juneteenth around there, good for us. We make a lot of money because there's festivals and we have a big party, but it is a hot mess because there's no parking. And now they come and they flood the streets for the celebrations. Hey, Lamar Park always got some drums and something. That's why I love about that neighborhood. I love the culture. I love the fact that you always hear drums playing and you saw you smell Phillips barbecue, which is not there anymore, but I like that. I like being, I'm unapologetically black. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm unapologetically bushy. I love that too. You it's can be both. Bushy and black. <laughs> I love, I, I love being bushy <laughs> and black. I love it. But I like, I want to hear some drum beats. I'm going to smell some barbecue and I want to know where a good wig shop is. I love Crenshaw area. Absolutely love it. So uh, it's a lot going on. I'm grateful that people were trying to bring it up and trying to bring better quality stores and restaurants in. But on the other hand, it's like a lot of neighbors are fighting it because they don't want it to change. And I think change is important. I think we have to change. We have to change with the time. But we also got to make sure that the change isn't taking away our culture and that people aren't coming in, not appropriation. Uh, gentrification. Thank you, gentrification. Because you don't get to come in and change it. Just because, you know, you ain't the great white hole. We was doing good. We liked our little stuff. Either you come in and you flow with us or don't move here. Really that simple. But the, I can't stand it. And this bothers me when I'm in a conversation with somebody and they call our neighborhood up and coming. Mm. I had to correct somebody. No, it's not up and coming, honey. It's always been like this. You just discovered it. No, we're not up and coming in Lamert Park right. or the Dara or Baldwin Hills or View Park. You can no longer afford Beverly Hills 
You want to get out the valley for whatever reason. So now you see the, the, the same houses. We just got a different zip code and property taxes are cheaper, but it's the same houses. If you do the flats of Beverly Hills, it's the exact same houses that we have in Baldwin Hills and View Park. Same houses. No, we're not up and coming. You just discovered it. That annoys me, up and coming, because they decided to finally come down and see what was past people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you, Vanessa. And I certainly hope that the neighborhood finds that balance to maintain the culture and allow for the changes that are healthy for everybody. So before I let you go, I came across something on your website that I really liked a lot, and it's titled 60 Things That I Know For Sure. I just wanted to read a couple of those and that struck me and, and get you to elaborate a little bit, if you would, on each and one. It should be 65. I got to add five. Oh, it's one per year. Okay. I, I didn't know that was a theme. All right. And I like this one a lot, especially in the era of social media, where so many people just, and this is not pertaining to what you, because you sharing your trip with the Johnsons, I felt like that was voyeurist for all of us. We got to enjoy some of that with you. And you're just not a showy person. It's not always glossy for you, but some people only show the best of things on their social media and it creates a little bit of envy, but I liked your be happy for other people's good fortune. Cause I tell my son that a lot, rather than be envious of someone else's success, cheer for them. So tell me how you feel about that. Yeah, you said exactly. I mean that with all my heart and I always Tell my girls, I try to raise my girls like that too. You got to be happy for other people because this is the thing I know too. When people ask me to do favors for them, I am appearing in people's student films. I've done people's projects for $5.99 because I want to see them succeed. I wanted to help them. I had something that they needed and they asked me to be a part of it. And because I believed in them, I did it. Now, does that mean that person turns around and blesses you? No, but you'll get your blessing somewhere else because you bless somebody. When you want to see some other people succeed and you're happy for them and you want to be a part of that growth and development, you do it because that's where your heart lies, not because you want something in return. I always know why I'm saying yes to something. I'm always very clear why I'm saying yes. And it's usually because I want that other person to succeed. I want you to win. And I don't want anything from you in return. I just want to give. Yeah, I totally believe that. You'd be happy for other people's success. Because how about that? Look at turn around. Look at the blessing I got. Me and Tony got. Just being with the Johnsons. Because they're so blessed. They blessed us probably because we blessed other people in some ways. And they didn't even know the full servo was coming back to us in that way. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's another one I love a lot. This is an underrated art form. But it's always best to listen. Yeah. You learn a lot by listening. And I've had to learn how to listen more, especially to my children, which is the hard thing to listen and say and cop when you're wrong. You always tell them, eat crow while you're hot. It goes down. That's one of mine too, eat crow while you're hot. It goes down better. <laughs> but yeah, it's always best to listen because listening gives you the key and the insight to the other person or the situation, especially when you walk in on something and you're not quite sure what's going on. Before you jump, just listen. Or when you meet somebody, just listen. That'll tell you a lot about a new person that you're meeting or a new relationship or new love or new whatever. Yeah. I love that. And this one, my, my wife had to reinforce with me, but divorce is not an option. Divorce is not an option. When I said, I do, I meant it. <laughs> now, as Tony's joke is, he says, 
We'll be roommates up in this world. Because if you think I'm going out buying another house, you're crazy. <laughs> and when we got married, we both agreed divorce was not an option. That whatever came along, if we needed to go to therapy, if we needed to, whatever we needed to do, we would do. But divorce was off the table. And like I honestly say, Brad, and I say this with pride, I met Tony December of 1986. And we went on one date and we've never been apart, first mm. of all. One date, we've never been apart, and we have never broken up. Like you date and you break up, get back together, separate and come back. We have never broken up, ever, or almost broken up. There was never discussion of breaking up, never. So divorce was not as was not an option. It's still not an option. Strong. All right, last one. Aging is a privilege, not a given. Talk to me. I tell people that all the time. It always amazes me. Especially women. First of all, nobody think you forty anymore. If you're a friend of ours, Brad, you must just based on how long we've known each other, we know that you ain't fifty, and it's okay. Oh, don't tell my age. And I tell people, I said, okay, I can make sure that you stay eternally whatever age you want to be. It's not a problem. But aging is a given. It's a privilege. If you are still here to tell a story or to do whatever, that's a privilege. Aging is not a given. Don't expect to live to ninety. Don't think. Don't assume. You're going to be here to 90 years old. And I said, I want to get to 90. I want to make it to 95 or 100. But I can't do that if I don't turn 66 in March. I got to turn 66 next March to become a feisty year old 90, 90 year old woman. And then I got to turn 67 and hopefully 89. You know what I'm saying? So it is a privilege. Every year that we have a birthday, it's a privilege. And the best way for women who don't want anybody to know their age, then be fabulous. The best way to, to hide it or get back at folks or shock people, just be great. Don't worry about how old you are. They ain't got nothing to do with who you are and what you do. I'm 65. I look at myself and go, how am I supposed to feel? <laughs> now, how am I supposed to dress? What am I supposed to look like? Because I don't know. But they told me I was born in 1957. That's the lie they told me. So if what they told me is true, I turned 65 this year. And I'm okay. What a blessing that is. What a gift. Whatever you're doing, keep doing. Vanessa Bell Calloway, I have to say, it's such a privilege to have known you for a good part of your journey and reaffirming to see such a good person as you accomplish what you have. I'm really happy for you and much continued success and good health. Thank you, Brad. Adder, congratulations on your show. I've heard about it and everybody loves it. And what an honor it is to be with a friend for so many years. Brad and I, we were like in our early 20s. I mean, we were like about 23, Brad, 23 years old. We were. Yes. Yeah. We were like, we were baby. We still baby. I'm glad we still know each other. All the best, Vanessa. Thank you. So thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. So the favorite part of my day is when I join my sister, Ambassador Shabazz, who actually is with me today from Belize. What's going on? Oh, my God. Lots going on. <laughs> yeah, we caught you in a pause moment in Belize, which is rare. So, yeah. A little jet lag and walking, one foot in front of the other. Something <laughs> become autopilot, stirred by interest, passion, obligation, and a little time to do it in, but also... I just love the outcomes. I think that's part of the driving thing for me. It's, it's been cool. And I'm so glad I'm able to 
dial in and listen to this wonderful exchange between you and Lady Belle Calloway. All of us as New Yorkers were surrounding one another when we were beating the pavement, so to speak, or mm -hmm. in a way that many of us who are alive and of the same age, I would say somewhere between, I don't know, 62 and 75-ish. There were a number of Black folks in the 70s and 80s who just hit that stride. And when any of us come upon one another and have these conversations, just like the one I was just listening to, people don't know what it's like to go door to door and find that job and that determination that she expressed leaving her hometown and following a dream and what one does to go to be fit and ready and in, insistent when you're just 20. I think it's just really wonderful. So recapturing it. And there are a number of us from that era that when we speak to each other now and we're blessed to have had experiences and our currencies can vary. It's not always in the pocket, but just in collecting some of the roads to where we are now highs and lows, wounds. And I think somehow or another we should talk about that more so that this generation understands the journey of accomplishment and what mm -hmm. means accomplishment. And I love that many of us have heard about the trips, the yacht trips, but when she says that one of the impacts, is not just enjoying the journey with the Johnsons, but wanting to now host others, the hospitality extended as a result, rounding up her friends, whether it's her sorors or what she does for her husband, it's just sets a template for hospitality. And early on, you and I've talked about the industry of hospitality. And also it is the cornerstone of life and culture, how we greet and tend to and are mindful of other people in our spaces. Absolutely. And I'm also reminded of just how today we want an easier life for our kids to some extent, but the risks that we took without being able to Google ahead of time, that <laughs> quest, and we had to find your way, her weaving her way from 42nd Street up to 95th yeah. Street, just going door to door looking. Yeah. These days you would never do that. You would Google who's hiring and go where you need to go. And, uh, and you expect somebody to, to, to rescue you. It's a really different thing from then. And I was around her then. I didn't get to know her in the early S days, but I did get to know her later just because the circle was small mm -hmm. of those that went from New York to Los Angeles. And the last time I was with her, one in close proximity was in Louisville, Kentucky at the Derby mm -hmm. when a number of people came in and we were part of the same kind of entourage or circle for about three days. It was just wonderful to connect not with the LA contingent, it was the New York contingent that went to LA now back. So still little moments to share and also have conversations about the blessing whence we came, what the options and opportunities were and were not, and how a quite a few, many of whom you've interviewed on the corner table, that got through that that tough period, mm -hmm. know their names now based on their contribution, what they've added to the social or cultural atlas of, and you include it. We all did in those days, what you're supposed to do, get up and go to work and work hard to do it and strive to assure it. You never thought your parents were taking care of you. They were guides, they were inspirations, but 
you weren't like planning to move back home. They were not, it didn't enter the no. thing. We were all like Huck Finn. You better get it together. Throw that stuff in a little blanket, put a stick on the end and go find your whatever. And you had to live up to the intention. So whether it was school or training or all of those things were there and our parents gave us that or steered us in that direction or prayed for us in that way. But when I think of those of us that are here now and when you make stumble across any of our names and association to our work, eh, we put in some time. We put it in. We put in the time and the work. Now, I know you just bopped out to L.A. real quick for a little shindig. Yeah. One of our dear friends just yeah. turned 70. And one of your former corner tables. Yes. Yeah. Paula Madison. And now you had to take a quick trip down to Belize. And I know that's a quick turnaround, but what's happening in Belize on this trip? Quite a bit. So what happens is so there, the one inspiration is that a dear friend of ours mutually, his mother's turning 95. And so they're originally from Belize and she insisted that I be here. And there's no way I could say to that 95 year old spitfire of a mom that I wasn't coming. So what I knew that while being here, that I had a few birds to take care of at the same time, my first stop from the airport was at the YWCA, which almost closed. It's been here 66 years and been a real steward in the community, but COVID jacked it up. You don't get resources and you can't have people come in more than 10 at a time. It's lifting now. But how do we generate and bring that back to life? So that was my first stop, despite a red eye, <laughs> to inspire again and then take on the charge under my purview to say that you're not by yourself with a why, that it's a global brand and that everybody has a warm and fuzzy memory. So how do we find the greater population to assist you in doing this effort? So I did a walkthrough and spent time with the board. It was just exciting because for me, that my brain starts firing off of all the things that can happen and that charges me. So despite fatigue again, and we're preparing for the International Yoga Festival, which is around the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. What's great about that, it's not just merely a yoga festival. It's an entity that has a nonprofit called Rhythm of Change. The events of the yoga festival are to fund and resource Rhythm of Change, which provides yoga, mindfulness, social welfare, mental health to schools and communities and the things like that. That's a quick turnaround. And I appreciate you taking a little, carving out a little time for us today, because I know you're jam-packed back-to-back down there. So please give Mr. Thompson my sincere hellos. And I will be talking to you next time from back in the States. I know you're going to be headed right it'll, back. We'll be back in the States, but it's always a joy for me to insert a little bit of my time in the country to talk about that. That's how we move. Yeah. All right. Vast and I will see you soon. Sir Johnson.